0: This morning, as I mentioned, we're continuing our Lent sermon series. Lent is this period of 40 days, or 46 if you include Sundays, leading into Easter, as kind of this preparation season, the season where we focus really on the repentance of sin. That for many of us, during Lent, we choose to give up something, and we give up something not as like a, I can prove that I'm like got resilience and I'm good and I can stop these things. We actually give up things so we can become more aware how dependent we are on things that are not God. How so easily we go to other places to get what we should get from God. That's kind of what the season of Lent is about, that we contemplate in the midst of this season of sin what we're heading towards. And it's the cross and it is Christ. And this morning, I want to continue this series. We've really framed up our Lent series around this idea of cruciformity. And we actually had some feedback after Clint's sermon last week of this cruciformity, like the sermon was great, but Clint said, you may need to tidy up a few le- loose ends. People were kind of reporting back, I don't actually know, still know what you mean by cruciformity. So he's got a definition that... I want to just kind of state to start of what we mean when we say in the season of Lent, cruciformity, and it's this. Cruciformity is all about being conformed to the crucified Christ, that we as a people, as God's people, would have a willingness to embrace, surrender, sacrifice, and follow the way of Christ, and the way of Christ leads to the cross. That we would be shaped and formed by a saviour who ends up dying on a cross. That this cross does lead to resurrection, it is death to life, but it is still a journey that goes to death. And so, this cruciformity image has been an image that actually throughout church history has shaped how the people of God have thought. In kind of the early centuries of the church, one of the ways they expressed that as a people we are to be cruciform is they literally structured their buildings around the cross. Like if you go into any old cathedral, it's literally structured like a cross, that the buildings themselves would represent that we are a people shaped by the cross. And Jimmy Davis says this, Here in the 21st century, we need more cruciform churches, churches that are not only physically shaped in the form of the cross. We don't need those lavish cathedrals, but living communities of disciples being shaped by the cross into the shape of the cross for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. And through this series, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke. Luke. Starting this morning in Luke chapter 4, this journey that Jesus goes on towards Easter, towards the cross, that this journey that he himself takes his disciples on, this journey to his death, that he pulls in people around him and says, this is the journey that I'm going on, come and join me, take up your cross. And we're going to journey through some key moments where Jesus teaches and shows what it means to be a cruciform people. And this morning... I want to start with Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So if you've got a Bible with you, feel free to open up and read along with me, whether that's a hard copy or on a phone. Jesus full of the holy spirit left the jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during these days and at the end of them he was hungry the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell the stone to become bread jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone the devil led him up to a high place And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our story this morning is on the temptations of Jesus and leading into our passage this morning we get this key moment in Jesus' ministry in his life before our passage this morning is when Jesus is baptised. This moment where Jesus goes under the water and he comes up and an angel from heaven descends and a voice comes and speaks over him and says to Jesus, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. The sense of God speaking his truth and life and identity over Jesus. This is who he is. And then we get this full genealogy of Jesus tracking back generation, generation, generation right back to Adam the sense of we get God speaking identity you're my son but we also get Jesus' full humanity expressed that Jesus is a human and he can track a genealogy right the way back he's located as this fully human, fully God beloved son as he heads into this journey into the wilderness that is going to question that and our passage starts this morning, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that descended on him in his baptism, lead him to leave the Jordan and into the wilderness. That Jesus' ministry journey doesn't start with a great success or even just like a little victory. It's just leading into this desert, this hard place, and that's where the Spirit takes him. That he is obedient, that his first step And his ministry is a step of obedience. I'm going to follow where the Spirit is leading me. And it's led out into this wilderness place, this place that, in other parts of Luke's gospel, this is where the demons are cast out into. When the demons are cast out of people, they are sent out into the wilderness. And this is where Jesus goes. And this is a place that, if you know the story of God, The wilderness is a familiar place for God's people. It's an important place for God's people. That him going out into the wilderness should ring these bells of, oh, the people of God have been in the wilderness before, and they've been tested in the wilderness before. Tested of, will they be loyal to God? It's a place where, when those questions came, when those challenges, when those temptations came, and the same ones that we see in our passage when the israelite people in the desert were tempted by hunger tempted to worship something other than god tempted to put god to the test they failed and jesus comes and plays this out again the temptation that the people of god have failed before jesus is called by the spirit to go in and maybe do it a different way And here we get Jesus is also not eating. And this, if you know the word of God as well, calls back to, oh, when the people of God were in the wilderness in the past, Moses was also called to not eat. That he went into this period of 40 days of not eating and not drinking. This period where he just went and spent time alone with God and God, spoke to him and this is the time that the 10 commandments came out of so Jesus is going into the wilderness going to this place that the people of God have been tested historically that the people of God have not only been tested but they've also in the midst of that heard God's voice and leading and guiding and this is where Jesus finds himself and I wanted to set kind of the story of this is part of the people of God's story, not just because it's, I think, interesting, but I think there's a tendency sometimes with these kind of passages to say, oh, Jesus went through these temptations as an individual, and read this pas- these temptations purely in an individual sense, and placing it within the larger story, there's a sense in which actually as a community, as a people of God, we face these temptations. As we read through them, think not just me and God, me and Jesus, think us and God as well. I think that's important. And we see throughout the rest of the narrative in Luke's Gospel, these temptations don't just finish here, they kind of come up in different ways, different opportunities that the enemy tempts Jesus throughout his ministry, right up until the cross. He's given the opportunity, the temptation his entire ministry and in this place we get these verses the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell the stone to become bread and the first thing that's particularly for us in the west and how kind of philosophically work that should hopefully stand out from this passage is it just names there is an enemy Satan, the devil, there is an enemy that exists, that when we look at the fallenness, the brokenness around us in our world, it's not just about, man, that person did something bad, or oh, those people on that, like, oh, it's those, those liberals, They like, just like, it's woke culture, or it's, man, those conservatives just don't think about anyone else, It is not, it's not just As we look at our world, it can be so easy to think about it in terms of the other person, the other people. Man, even in our personal lives, to think, man, I'm stuffed up, and it's just my parents' fault. Like, they were not good at it, and that's the reason I'm the way in. Or to look at our kids, and when they muck up, and be like, oh man, my kids. And the issue, the invitation of this passage is to say, hey, there's a whole lot of things at play, but... We need to remember that there is actually an enemy at work. An enemy who's fighting for our souls in this. Karl Barth said this, reflecting after World War II, he says, there exists a superior enemy whom we cannot resist unless God comes to our aid. I do not care for demonology, nor ask for the manner in which it is treated in Germany today or perhaps elsewhere. Ask me no questions about the demon, for I am not an authority on the subject. However, it is necessary for us to know that the devil exists, and then we must hasten to get away from him. I think this sums up how we treat this subject, that we don't become like fixated on this enemy this devil the Satan but particularly us in the west we have to be aware of it that in Paul's words that when we wrestle we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that when these temptations come in our lives it's not just like necessarily two goods there's actually an enemy at play in here and what is the enemy what does this devil attempt to do with jesus he just questions hey if you're really the son of god this is surely what it means to be the son of god Surely the Son of God means you have power, you have authority. To be a son and not an orphan means you should be provided for. You should be able to do these things. He questions Jesus. And Jesus' response is, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And you can imagine, Jesus. this temptation comes not when Jesus has like had a full night's sleep, He's had a nice good breakfast. He's hung out with some friends. He's feeling energized. This comes to Jesus at his weakest moment. He hasn't eaten for he's hungry. He's, I haven't not eaten for 40 days. I imagine he's literally starving. And the enemy comes and says, hey, you're starving, but you're the son of God. Son of God shouldn't be starving. And you have the means Make yourself some bread, and Jesus' response is, man does not live on bread alone. This call back to this passage in Deuteronomy of man that does not live on bread alone but lives on the Word of God, that hey, I' am a son of God, and I trust my Father. I trust that he is going to provide, I trust. That by following and being obedient to what he's calling me to is better than me breaking the relationship to make some bread. That God has called me in this moment to not eat for 40 days. And so I'm going to be faithful, trusting that the end will come and that he will feed me. And I think for us there's this challenge of... Most of us aren't gonna be in a desert not eating for 40 days, waiting for bread. But there's these moments, I think, in our lives where we know where the Spirit's calling us, where God is calling us to go. And we can so easily, when feelings of discomfort, feelings of hunger, feelings of unease, uncomfortable feelings come, to go for the quick fixes. Like, how can I satisfy, I know God's calling me there, but I just need, like, a quick fix to get me to the next stage. And it might be things like, man, when uncomfortable feelings come, man, we do, like this, we just go to food. Maybe it's things like we go to exercise, we go to addictive behaviors to try and meet these emotional needs rather than trusting that the, our good god has ta- is taking us on a journey and will provide these needs that in meeting them might seem like self-care but they're actually disobedience to god they could be things that seem like good things they could be things that we know don't actually fix you could have your life built around avoiding stuff of av- Like Jesus, avoiding hunger. Maybe it can be avoiding an emotion, a sadness, loneliness, shame, guilt. Your whole life, instead of being constructed around where is the Spirit calling me and leading me and I'm going to go there no matter what it feels like in the moment, you're basing your life around avoiding an emotion, a feeling. I was reflecting on this last night, and I may have shared this before, but I realized a few years ago, I was used to be a youth worker, and we did youth workers training, and we do icebreakers, and a common icebreaker question is, tell me your most embarrassing story, and I realised I don't have any embarrassing stories, like, I genuinely, no, I don't, but the problem is, it's because I've constructed my life in a way that avoids any risk taking Like, hey, God might be calling to that, but I might get embarrassed, so I'll just back off, right? I I can think of like there's a few probably in the last few years as I've started to process this, but for me, I don't have embarrassing stories because for me, it's like I don't want to go to places that might risk that. And I wonder for some of us, there's some things that it's like. Ask you, have you ever felt anger? Have you ever felt sadness? Maybe there's an emotion where it's like, I haven't felt that, and it's because you've constructed your life around avoiding it, rather than constructing your life around obedience to where the Spirit is leading you. Because Jesus in that moment was able to be like, man, I am hungry, I am starving, but I am gonna stay obedient to where God is calling me. Because I think when we construct our lives around avoiding stuff, Yeah, we not only disobey, but it bubbles up in weird ways. We make weird life. Our life decisions become based around this stuff. And for me, reflecting of, man, I'm called to be someone who lives a cruciform life, a life following a crucified God. A life heading towards the cross. It's like, man, I'm not willing to face embarrassment and I worship a Savior. I follow a Savior who died naked on a cross. Like, man, you can't get much more embarrassing than that. I'd better be willing to face up to this and journey. There might be some embarrassment in my discipleship journey, in my cruciform life. But man, faithfulness and obedience to Jesus has got to be more important than that. That it's so easy to find ways to opt out to justify that the enemy might come and say, hey, if you're really a son, if you're really a beloved, you shouldn't have to feel this uncomfortable thing, this uncomfortable emotion. This shouldn't really be part of your discipleship journey facing up to this stuff. What are the ways that we can go around it without actually dealing with it? And Jesus, in the midst of this, does not define sonship that the way the enemy wants to. Sonship is not about primarily the rights and abilities to meet his own needs. It's about his relationship to his Father, the relationship that will feed those needs. And for him to choose to make bread, like, you look later in the Gospel, Jesus makes bread. Like, it's not like making the bread is the issue. He literally does it later in the Gospels. The issue is to choose to take his needs into his own hands at the expense of his relationship with God is something that he's not willing to do. That Jesus is willing to say, I'm a beloved son of my heavenly father and I am willing to take that journey even if that journey takes me to the cross. I'm not willing To give that up in this moment. And so the devil continues to tempt him. And the devil leads him up to this high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world and says to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Firstly, there's this little glimpse we get. The devil kind of mucks up here where he says, it has been given to me. And it reveals that actually the devil isn't in control, that he's been given authority from someone else. He is not the all-powerful, all-knowing. There's someone else above him. But at the start of Jesus' ministry, he gives him this opportunity to skip all the hard stuff, to go straight to the authority and splendor. Because when Gabriel the angel came and announced to Mary about Jesus, she says, the angel says to Mary that her son will sit on the throne of David and there will be no end to his kingdom. That what the devil promises, Jesus will get to and more But the enemy comes and promises, hey, do you want it now? Do you want it without having to go to the, like, don't worry about the death. Let's get to the destination. There's an easy way. There's a shortcut. That you can get what you want in your life without having to be faithful to how God is calling you to get there that he's calling Jesus to a shortcut. Inviting him to have a shortcut of, hey, here's this vision of a good life. Do you just want it now? And I think for us, there can be the same temptation that we can get in our minds this vision of this good life. This vision of what it'll be at the end in eternity. And like, how can I get there now? What is like, I just want it now man, I just want to like a wonderful marriage and family, I want a career where I'm at the top, I want the house with no mortgage, and maybe a second house, I want the holidays, I want deep relationships. And these things aren't necessarily bad, but if our lives are orientated around how do I get those things and get those things as quickly as I can rather than What is the Spirit inviting me to in this moment? Where is God leading me to this day, this week, this year? I think pursuit of these things at the expense of following the Spirit's voice to the Father's will leads us away from God as a moment where we give into this temptation. And it often leads to a life of debt. It's not like on one side there's this cruciform hard life and the other there's this beautiful thing. Like we know chasing after some of these things just leads to struggle and hardship. Leads to a home where we've got a mortgage that's way bigger than we can actually pay off and our life is orientated around paying off a mortgage because our goal is we've got to have this paid off house rather than what is the spirit leading me to be like oh i want deep relationships so i'm just the easiest way to get to that is just go to people who are like me and we get on easily and it can feel really deep but again the invitation that scripture offers is we're invited we're part of a people we're actually the the thing that we have in common is jesus that, man, we can pull across gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic, sit in the same room and the thing that we have in common is Jesus. And those relationships are hard because we don't have anything in common and they take work. And it feels like the sacrificial love to make those relationships work. Instead of like, I just want deep relationships, I'll go to the easy ones. I'll take the shortcuts. And I just don't think it leads to the life that Jesus is calling us to. It leads us to expectations on our children and our friends of you have to be this person. You have to be them now. I need you at this now. Just this intense pressure. And we see this play out in the Gospels of like people, man, I just want to get to it now. And Jesus says, you've got to go a different way. You get the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus of like, what are the steps that I need to do? What are the shortcuts? And he says, the step for you is to give up your wealth. And it's like, but that's not the vision of the good life that I had in mind. I'm not willing to partake. And yet we get Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector who sees Jesus and the call to his kingdom and says, I'll give my money up. I'll give my wealth up. I'll take a cruciform life to follow my Jesus, my Savior. That that's the journey that we go on. That we're following this Jesus who doesn't take the shortcuts, doesn't take the easy way, but who took the hard way. The famous passage on this of how Jesus in relationship with us chose the difficult path The devil comes at the start of Jesus's ministry and like, you want success, I can give it to you now. And Jesus says, no, I'm taking the path of humility and I'm calling my followers to do the same. But then it closes with these verses therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that it, the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father that it gets to a f- the resurrection at the end is far greater than we imagine but we get there through the cruciform life Jesus' orientation is again, I'm not going to take the shortcut, I'm going to follow the way that the Spirit is leading me to. I'm in relationship to God the Father and I will serve Him. Power and authority and this goodness is not the goal. The goal is continued relationship and obedience to the Father, even though that will lead to the cross. He doesn't give in to the invitation for quick fixes in the moment or shortcuts. So the devil continues. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning to guard you carefully that they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone Jesus answered, It is said, do not put your God to a test. To the test. And again, this is Jesus ta- is taken to Jerusalem. And his mind, he's taken to Jerusalem. And the devil says, Throw yourself down and you'll be saved. And we know where this story's going the story Jesus is going to be taken by the spirit to Jerusalem that's where the spirit's leading to him leading him to and he's not going to be saved he's going to be thrown down by the powers and authorities and he will willingly go there and receive death But in this moment as he's about to go into his ministry, the devil again tempts him. Does God really love you? Are you really his beloved son? Surely the journey wouldn't lead to the cross. Surely that's not where he's taking you. Surely he'll save you at the last minute if you really are his son. That surely pain is not part of your journey. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That our lives are not this place where we test God. And we may not like consciously think like, I've got these, if God you don't follow through on this, then I'm out. But I wonder, some of us may have those, but I wonder for some of us, it's we've got these plans in our mind And then when pain, then suffering, when the journey is taken away that we don't expect and it's through a hard place, when suffering arises, that it's like, oh God, you've failed me. God, you've deserted me. God, you've left me. God, you've failed the test that I had. I had this plan for my life and I was thinking, you're a good God, you'll take me there the way I want to go. God." And when it seems like God's not taking you that way, again it's a temptation of were we putting God to the test the whole time? But instead Jesus lives a life where he's being led by the Spirit to do the Father's will. The temptation is always to step out of his Father's wills, to step out of the leading by the Spirit to step out of that relational identity and to do it a different way. To do it in a way that does not require pain, does not require suffering, and ultimately does not require death on a cross. And as we've walked through these temptations, the invitation this Lent is to examine our lives, our hearts, our motivations, and actually see the places where. Like the people of God in Israel, we've given in to the temptations. Where there have been moments where an enemy, a voice in our minds, has given us a way to opt out, an easier option, and we've taken it. God has called us on a path, and we've said, I'm going to actually pursue something different actually, I'm about avoiding this emotion. I'm about, when uncomfortable stuff comes up, meeting it myself. So I'm just going to opt out of your leading in this. Oh, that journey that you're taking me on, I don't know if it's for my good. So I'm going to take a different way. I'm going to not trust that you are my good father. And the cruciform life will lead to resurrection life. There are so many ways that we can opt out. And I think the challenge as we look through the Word of God is there's two ways that we can follow. And unfortunately, both ways lead to death. The way of the enemy, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, leads to death. And the cruciform life also leads to a death. But like John says, or Jesus says in John's Gospel, the kind of death that says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Or elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. That you're going to have to... There's death either way. Will you choose the death that leads to resurrection life? Will you choose the cruciform life? Or will you choose to give into the temptation that will feel good in the moment, that will reprieve the feelings in the moment, that might feel like the shortcut, but man, are taking you away from God and lead to death? And I think as we come to the end of this passage... I just want to bring us to a passage from Hebrews 4.15, and it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That is, we reflect on these temptations, and man, as I sit with them, I realize how far I fall short and have fallen short. But man, I am so thankful that the good news is that there is one who has succeeded. There is one who did not give in to these temptations, who said, I will choose the difficult path. I will choose the path that leads to the cross, not for the sake of myself, but this for the sake of all of us. That while each of us in the season of Lent reflect on man, man, We fail in our ways to get to God. God says, I'm going to choose the difficult path to get to you. And that we're invited to participate with Jesus, to be with the Son, that we may be able to follow the Spirit's lead in our life to the Father's will through Jesus. And the invitation is, s- stop doing it by yourself. Enter into this relationship. We have one who has forged the way ahead, who has not given into sin, who has succeeded, who has come out the other side into resurrection life, and wants to take us on that journey. And my hope is that as a people, our primary disposition for our lives, for 2023, for our week, for our day, may be where is the Father leading us by the Spirit through the Son? That through Jesus, He gives us the, that those temptations may no longer have power over us. That we may know a life that says, man, I know the shortcut doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. Man, I know those quick fixes, they don't actually fix things and man, they just make things worse. And I know that because I can look on Jesus and see the goodness, see the life that he offers by choosing the cruciform way, choose the way that leads to the cross. Be shaped by a savior who chose that way and says, come, I wanna take you with me. Will you choose that? I just want to invite the band up this morning as we shift to the communion table, this place where we receive the body in Christ each week. And I'll invite us to reflect. Where have been the places in your life where you can see that the enemy has come and tempted? Come and said, I'll give you the quick fix. This will solve it. You don't have to feel pain. You don't have to feel hunger. You don't have to feel that uncomfortable thing. And you've taken it. Where are the places where you've got this vision of the good life that isn't necessarily even based on how Jesus paints it and you've said I just want to get there the quickest I can and if God's with me on that journey that's great but if he's not I'm still going there where are the places you've said God if you bring pain and suffering and hardship into my life I'm out that's not the journey I want to go on And the invitation this morning is if to bring those moments before Jesus, before a God who said, I have died on the cross for the forgiveness of those moments, those places in your life. That Jesus gathered his friends around him the night before he was betrayed by one of his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And later in the meal, he took a cup. He said, this is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. The sign of the new covenant, the new relationship. The places where you've given into those temptations. Come and receive my body and my blood as payment Come and receive my spirit's guidance to not go down those paths anymore. That each time that we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we remember the Lord's death, the path that he chose, the path that he chose for us until he comes again. Now, before I pray, I want to invite... As we receive communion this morning, if you feel like God is doing something in your spirit and your heart, if you would like to respond, um, I just feel a sense that there maybe some of us who are feeling like, man, those temptations have come and I've dropped the ball. I've given in. The, te- the enemy, the tempter has come and man, I have listened. I've given him more airtime than I should. And you don't need a name on what specific thing that was, but I want to invite you this morning just to come and when you receive communion, just to stay at the front as an act, as a sign of Jesus, I am choosing again to follow your Spirit's leading in my life again. I know that may, that is a journey, that is a cruciform journey that leads to through the cross to resurrection life. So it will involve pain and hardship.